0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. Let's all stand together. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. This is our last uh, time as we're spent almost uh, nine months in this, ten months, and so uh, let's, let's uh, read these last verses. Remember this is the word of the Lord. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Ticketus The dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know who I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Amen. So through our time walking through Ephesians, the Lord has been so equipping us and filling us up and teaching us so much about him, what he is doing, what he has all already done. And as we go into this last um sermon inside of this series, what we want to do is sort of draw out some of the the main themes that we've seen inside here that's been shaping us and molding us so that we could um, hold on to those, so that we can grasp them and and see like how God will continue to use these truths in how we live in today's culture and time. Now, now one of those things that I want to draw to is is this. The gospel is much bigger than we imagine. It's it's much bigger than we imagine. This is what we see inside of Ephesians. See, Ephesians makes us aware of a narrative that is way bigger than you. Way bigger than you. It makes us aware of this. It's opened our eyes to this narrative that's, that's so much bigger. You see, most of us, we our world view is shaped and formed and starts from us. It starts from for me, the narrative inside of our lives uh, that when we contemplate it, when we think about it, it starts with my family. It starts with my family experiences, my ethnicity, my gender. It, it starts with the, the, the things that I see right here, right now, because I'm born into it, and it's the first, first thing that I see. And, and so, so oftentimes we start our story with us. And as we start our, our stories with us, many of the decisions that we, we make are responding to the brokenness that we, we see in this current reality, in this present time, right? As I'm thinking about this thing that I open my eyes to and I see and I form and find out what is my narrative, what is my story, and, 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 and it's so wrapped up into responding to the brokenness that, that, that I see right here, right now. But what Ephesians does when we read it, and I say that this, 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 the gospel is much bigger than we imagine. What Ephesians does is it opens our eyes to the wicked structures of the, the demonic forces that has formed the broken systems of our lives. There's something bigger that's going on. There's something bigger that, 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 we, that we see here. Structures and systems that are bigger than us. Bigger than me. When I'm looking at my issues and I'm looking at the things that hurt the most, you realize it's, it's nestled into something that's bigger than me. And Ephesians draws our attention to a war between God and, and Satan that is cosmic in its scope. Right. It's huge, it's big. Right When I say it's bigger than us, a war that's cosmic in in its scope and all of life is affected by it. In Romans it says, all of creation groans waiting for the revealing of the sons of men and and this is a reflection of the present realities of this particular war. We see this highlighted in Ephesians and most importantly important point that is bigger than us that Ephesians make is this narrative that is bigger than us, this brokenness that is bigger than us, this pain that is bigger than us finds itself inside of God's story. It's not like God is nestled inside of its story, but it finds itself inside of God's story, and God's story carries all the way through. There is something much bigger that's going on that Ephesians opens our eyes to. We always preach through this, and we we talk about these symbols, which is the story that we find our stories wrapped up in narrative that's bigger than us, a a story that's bigger than the the brokenness and demonic forces that are behind it. In Ephesians, we find a God that is triumphant over all of this, this brokenness. He's triumphant, he's victorious, and he's already that. Even though it's not yet made manifest inside of the present, what we see inside of the Ephesians is a a grander story. And inside of this story, we find a victorious God who stands triumphant. And he calls us to participate with him in his victory. See,
0: if we came in later to the book of Ephesians, we kind of find ourselves at a deficit because we've jumped into some, some things that are extremely important. But Paul specifically starts with this story this idea of that in creation, God made all things one, He made them all. Together, in covenant, in perfect harmony, in symbiotic relationship, There was this reality of them all being one and together in covenant, in creation, with this arrow coming down. God came down. But because of sin, where you see this X, all things that were one were separated. They were all separated, and God in his grace, had sent a people, that's that forward arrow, he had sent a people into the chaos, into the separation, to be this one people who were chosen by him to display what his kingdom would look like. And then that work of God sending his son Jesus to do this work on the cross and to raise from the grave. What we see is that God once again is coming in and doing this work of bringing all things together in Jesus, in Christ. And then we find ourselves in another forward arrow in this time where we are called as his people to live into this reconciliation, this oneness awaiting the day when all things will be made new. And just as, uh, I, I want to use this illustration of a seed. Actually, many times in Scripture when they're talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus would say it's likened unto a seed. Yeah, yeah. The thing about a seed is that when you look at a seed, you, you realize that you could just look at it through your, your eyes of the-, of the flesh, and you could go, this is small and insignificant and unimportant. But when... The kingdom is referred to as a seed. He's actually saying that this is already a tree, but not yet a tree. And it's becoming a tree. It's already a tree. It's becoming a tree. And there will be a day when it will fully be a tree. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God like a seed. Although you may see something small Packed in that seed is everything that has been promised and spoken, packed in that seed, and it's becoming that seed. And so often when we hear the gospel preached, especially in our cultural context, what we hear is that it's all about individual salvation. Now, I'm not saying it's less than that, but it is much, 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 much more than that. And when we see it as that, what ends up happening is when the extent of the gospel in our hearts is all about personal forgiveness and salvation, it often doesn't just start there. It also terminates there for us. But what we need to see in a seed is the tree. We need to see the tree in the seed because it's already there and it's becoming that and it will fully be that. And what he does in Ephesians is show us the whole tree. He starts with the reconciliation of all things. Here's what your God is doing. He's making heaven and earth that is separated because of sin. It's going to be, it is, and it's going to be all brought back together. He is reconciling all things and then he shows, let me show you how I'm how I'm choosing to reveal that that's going to be a reality, it is it's through reconciling a family, a people of God, the church. That a reconciled church and a reconciled family is a reflection of we know he's reconciling all things, and when we live reconciled, we're declaring there will be a day when it will all be like this. Because we're a part of a bigger reconciliation plan. When a family, when a husband and wife live reconciled, it's not just about them. Matter of fact, Paul says the mystery is it's about Christ and the church. When a husband and wife live into this oneness, what they're proclaiming in their marriage is there, is will, there will be a day. And there is, it's already happened, it's not yet, and I'm living into it now. And then as we live as a family, as a marriage, as as parents, as children, as, as all of these things, we're living into this reconciled reality. We begin to live into the gospel, and yes, there's individual implications to what has happened. God in Christ has reconciled you to him, to his family, and he's brought you into this. And when you see yourself as a part of his family and a part of his story, you realize that the same God that's reconciling all things and reconciling his family and reconciling his world... This God is in you. You're seeing the tree and the seed. You're seeing the power of the gospel that is packed within us. And you're seeing what really is important here, that they would see as we live into our reconciled reality. We live into this gospel. We believe this and we walk in this. Then what ends up happening is people start to see the tree without seeing the tree. They start seeing that this seed has taken root, it's becoming the tree, and what it will be. We become an end-time proclamation that this is what God is going to do when he comes and makes all things new through our reconciled lives. He's using us. And we're a part of this narrative, and I got caught up into it so much that when Paul's preaching it, he just starts off with a song because I think it's just something you all got to sing about and worship because you got to get caught up into it. It's not something you argue over. It's just join in the song and and get your dance on, right, because this is what's happening. Join the rhythm. He starts singing. And what he shows us throughout this whole book that some of us got tired of we spend too much time talking about this. This is exhausting to keep having the same message over and, over and 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 over. Can we switch it up? But there's throughout the whole New Covenant reality, when we hear throughout the New Testament, this same thing being that unity and oneness is a big deal to God. Guys, it's a big deal. Us living as united people is a big deal because everything in this world is telling us that we're living in a triangle when we're actually, as the people of God, living in a circle. Because there are pyramids that were built from the beginning. When when all things were one and everything was this circular reality, the first structure that was built was to build their way through a pyramid up to being God. So we've lived our lives in these pyramids to try to have some at the top and some at the bottom and those at the bottom are trying to climb their way up and those at the top are trying to push those down and there's just this big clash and mess in the middle. It's more messy than that. Put the rich, put them up here. Put the poor, put them down here. And then they fight their way up and they fight their way down. Put the marginalized and the oppressed, put those who are, who are, are the minorities, put them at the bottom. Put those at the top. And we're clashing and in this world we're experiencing this. As we try to live into our cultural triangular lives. But in the gospel, what Paul continues to show us is that we are not just turning the triangle upside down. It's a completely different shape. That the shape of the kingdom is circular. There's no top. There's no bottom. There's oneness. Rich and poor are in desperate need of each other. Men and women are in desperate need of each other, and that as we live into this covenant reality, it's not about putting men at the top and women, at, it's about living into our oneness. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all peoples walking in this new shape, and the reason why we don't fit is not because of. structures and the systems and all these things, it's because the structures and systems and all the things of this world are shaped completely different than we're shaped. It's like trying to fit a a square, what is it, a circle and a triangle or whatever, however, however it works, square peg, round hole, whatever it is. But church, when we're living into our covenant reality, our oneness, we're living into what the gospel has done
1: what Christ has accomplished for us. And I know it could could feel like we're beating the same drum over and over and over and over and over again, but the reality is that we are heralding and reflecting what Scripture is saying over and over and over again. So if someone is beating the drum, it's God. In Ephesians 4 and 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He says every effort, every single one. But it would be something if that was just abstract from the rest of Ephesians. It's throughout the entire narrative Every single chapter, there are several references. And just to name a few, in Ephesians 1 and 10, he says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth, that God would say, listen, this is a plan for the fullness of time. I'm going to weave it into every single thing for the fullness of time. His plan. It's a big deal to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, he says, In him you also are being built together, unity, together, into a dwelling place for God by his spirit, right? Like he's doing the building and he's doing the unifying and he is selecting all these diverse bricks and building them together for his own temple that he's going to live inside of. means much to him. You turn to chapter 3, verse 6, he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he said, listen, listen, listen. Mystery revealed y'all's his family. You guys are actually unified already. It's just taking some time to be fleshed out. You're actually joint heirs together. He's talking about things that he's done from before time and then works out throughout time. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, where he ties in this unity in Christ to maturity. Mm. It's like, yeah, immaturity, you're not catching this. Come on. Come on. It's tied to your maturity. Yes. I wrote Five. Ephesians chapter 5, 31, he starts giving these practical examples. And one of these practical examples of what it looks like being lived into, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, united. And what he does there is he pulls from Genesis, which was the creational story. And reminds them of the creational narrative here. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, we're closing out in 6 and 18. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. Again, he, he, he connects this narrative of prayer, this reality of going to the throne of God. But he doesn't just say, go for yourself and your individual salvation. He says, pray for all of the saints. So it's like, I'm praying for you and you are praying for me. And we are praying for them and we. And this unity is nestled in this communication with God where we are praying for one another. You see this weaved all the way Through this text, it's a big deal to God. Now, when you think about this, God calls us to this big thing. And he says that he's using the church to speak to the powers and the authorities of of our time. And it can seem overwhelming, but we have to remember as we was going through the book of Ephesians, we have all we need to live this out. It's not just, man, we have enough to think about it, but we have all we need to live it out. Like, he said that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Not with some, not with most, but it says every single spiritual blessings in the heavenly places has been given to you. He says said, he said, he said that we have been united with Christ. So you have every spiritual blessings. You're united with Christ himself. And what's going on with Christ? It says Christ is lifted up above the authorities and above the systems and above the brokenness. And guess what? If he's lifted up above, and since you are united with him, you're lifted up above with him. What else? He says that not only that. Not only are you blessed with every spirit your blessings, united with Christ, raised up with Christ. On top of that, he seals us with his very spirit. I'm putting my spirit inside of you too. My spirit, the spirit of God that, that, that searches the mind of the Father and dwells inside of you. Uh, that's inside of you. And then we're, we're, we're going through the last couple of weeks talking about the armor of God, how He has equipped us with this, this covering that comes from living into the realities of these truths. We have everything we need. We have everything. To live this out. Church, I, I hope that you're
0: hearing this because many of us have allowed ourselves permission to give ourselves excuse. Yes for not living into the realities of the gospel because we think it's impossible. He leaves us without excuse. He's given us everything we need to live into this. And this is why I think last week as we touched on this reality, I want us to end with this and then we're going to pray together. Paul spends this last part Asking them to pray for him. He turns to them and what he asks them for is prayer for him. He says, pray for all the saints, but y'all need to pray for me too. That I won't get scared and I'll proclaim it fearlessly. Church, as you begin to see the vastness of the gospel... What we're fighting against is our own fear, right? What we need to pray for is this boldness that comes to actually believe and declare and proclaim and walk in that which Christ has given to us and provided for. Because some of us begin to think of, well, man, this is going to hurt. This is uncomfortable. This is impossible. This is going to cost me everything. And you start thinking through the costs and implications of this. You feel vulnerable and scared and unprotected and uncovered. Paul says, "Y'all, you may be feeling that, but I need you to pray for me." And I want you to look at the Thessalonians, and I want you to 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 to, to hear this because there's something that as pastors Wayne and I have been wrestling with for. A little while now. And something that God's been really pressing into my heart. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with, come on now, power. With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you know how we lived among you, for our sake. I think we need to spend much time meditating outside of this place on what the definition we've given to the word truth in our society. I think it needs some deeper thought within the church, not just society. What do we mean by truth? Well, I want you to look at what, what kind of the narrative of truth is through scripture and I want you to kind of meditate on this with me because when God speaks something in Genesis 1 from the very beginning God declares something and when he declares it when he says let there be there's no distinction between God's word and the fulfillment of God's word says let there be and it just said and it was What makes it true is not just that he said it, but that it was fulfilled. Okay? There's so many examples of this in scriptures, but one of my favorite is in Numbers where there's a prophet by the name of Balaam who's hired by a guy named Balak to put a curse on Israel. So Balaam gets hired, goes to the mountain, and God keeps telling him on the mountain, hey, y'all, he keeps telling Balaam, you put a curse on my people, that curse is coming back on you. Like times ten, it's coming back on you. So he goes back and goes, hey, you you can't pay me enough to do it. He goes, I'll double it. He goes back up. (laughs) He's like, that's a good wage. Let's see what God says this time. (laughs) Goes back up, and three times he goes up. Finally, the last time, he comes down and he says to Balak, he says, listen, God's not a man that he should lie. Right? What he, he wasn't scared that God just said it. The reason why he wouldn't cast a curse on the children of Israel is because he knew if God said it, it was going to happen. And so he said, let me give you some advice. He gave advice, and here's what he said. Send some women in there. Send some money. Send some booze. And the people of Israel will sin against God, and they'll bring a curse upon themselves. Because what he knew was there was nothing from the outside. There was no weapon that could be formed against them that could prosper. So there was no lie. There was no curse. There was nothing that could be cursed that could be put upon them. But here's what he did know. If the people of God became untrue, they would bring a curse on themselves. Because the truth wasn't just that they were, right? That they were just God's people, the truth was that they were living into that reality. There was nothing that could be brought. Now this makes Jesus even more powerful for us because Jesus says, I'm the way, the the truth. Because Jesus wasn't just the word of God. He was the word of God who became flesh and he fulfilled in Christ all the things that were spoken by the law and the prophets. That it wasn't just in word In Christ, all things were fulfilled. He is the embodiment of God's word. That is why, in Christ, He lived this sinless life, this perfect. He fulfilled all things. He paid the price we should have. In Christ, this is why He could say, "I'm the truth." I didn't just. It's not just the teachings of Jesus that are truth. He. In his fulfillment and in his life, in his death and his resurrection, he showed that that word is true. Yes. So when the gospel is preached and Paul says, I didn't just preach it to you in word or eloquence. I preached it to you in word and in deed. I preached it to you in word and in what? In power. And I showed you, I lived amongst you, you yes. saw that gospel reality and we are called to put on the belt of Not to whip people and spank them, but to hold our pants up, right? Many of us are using the belt of truth and like whipping people while our pants are down. You realize, right, that you are exposed while you're telling other people that they should be living reconciled. They're looking at the church and going, y'all start telling us to live reconciled when you can do it. I'm telling you, in our time, as we're preaching into the chaos of the triangle, our biggest exposing is that we're preaching a truth that is not true to us. We're not embodying the realities of the gospel. And what Paul is saying all throughout Ephesians is look at this cosmic reality that's done in Christ, that is now placed into the church. And you, the church, living into Jew Gentile relationships, men and women, slave and free, all classes, all people, when the world looks in here and you say, God can reconcile all things, and he goes, What makes that true? They go, Well, look at the church. Look at what God in Christ could do because he's not after tolerance or diversity. He's after oneness. He's after all of us being one new man and that I cannot even fulfill by myself without you. We belong with one another and that God in Christ has put his spirit in us and I'm going to tell you this, this blows me away. I get to be a part of this. I get to be a part of this. And what brings that together, church, is that Paul is saying, look, what the world needs to see is a true gospel in word and in deed. And if we don't see it as true, our prayer lives should be deeply affected with your kingdom come, your will be done, On earth as it is in heaven. He starts with this prayer. God, listen, if we're not seeing on earth the truth proclaimed, our prayer should be, let it come. In us as it already is in heaven. So that the world can see and know that this gospel that we're preaching. And listen, so many of us, if we're honest, are preaching a gospel of reconciliation and living still in division. And we're wondering why nobody's listening. Is it true that God in Christ has tore down the walls of hostility and brought this one new man together? You better believe it's true. And he's saying, look, I'm the one who did that work. Now you, church, the church of Ephesus. Now you, church, the church of Alhambra, the church in Phoenix. Now you, church, live into this oneness that I've already purchased and stop building up walls that I've already tore down. And church, I I hope that we see that this gospel is true and what we need to be praying for is not that we could do it. Because Christ has already done it. But the boldness to actually live into it. And to proclaim it. In word. Don't, we don't, let's not take away word. We need to preach this thing. But it needs to be embodied with all of us. And I'm going to tell you, what, what Paul does at the end is says there's this prayer of the spirit that we pray for one another and we pray for each other. And here's, here's where we're going to go into a series in the next, uh, the next series, seven weeks after we went through all this warfare stuff, Wayne and I were thinking and meditating on this. And, and the word that just kept coming to us was, man, we need to take a moment and learn to just breathe. So we're going to do seven weeks on what does it mean to breathe? The word spirit is the word pneuma, which is breath or wind. Often when we think of the Spirit, we think of this great, mighty, rushing wind that has power to rip down buildings. And when we're praying for the Spirit, that's what we're praying for, a powerful wind. But he shows us a power that is even more powerful than wind, and that's breath. So many of us are trying to compete with the powers of the world to show who's more powerful by being louder, by being stronger, by being richer and he's going, no, the power of the spirit is different than the powers of this world because it's not just the things that can kill your body. If I take my breath away from the body, the body is gone. It's dead. It's the power of breath. When it's gone, nothing exists. The spirit is the thing that we need. We need to Breathe in this prayer. We need to breathe prayer. We need to breathe these things of the spirit, the spirit that lives in us and gives us. In him we live and move and have our being. Church, where we hear this great reality, what we should be praying for is breathe into our nostrils the breath of life. Give us your spirit. We have your spirit, so let us Sit and breathe and pray in the spirit and 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 inhale and exhale. And there's many things when it comes to working out. If you if you've ever got into that arena or any type of lifting weights, what ends up happening is while you're running or lifting, people start holding their breath. And a trainer goes, just breathe. Because there's more power in your breathing than you realize. And many of y'all are trying to hold your breath. When we need to learn to pray and breathe deeply of the things of the spirit. So we're gonna take this last time, Wayne. It's gonna lead us in just a time of prayer for, for each
1: other. And listen, how we wanna do this as we get we get ready for communion? And we do this every single week with communion. We come together and we fellowship together, breaking bread together. We eat of the bread that Represents his body that was given for us. We drink of the juice that represents his blood that flows for us. And every single time that we do it, we are remembering government. we're remembering the covenant. We're remembering the union. Well, today, as we, we get ready to take communion together, as we close out Ephesians. I want us to posture our hearts the same way of, how, how Paul did as he was closing out. Here he is, the pastor, and he's writing to the church, but what he does is he, he's transparent. And he says, listen, man, also pray for me that, that, that I won't succumb to, to fear, that I will be bold and pro- proclaim the thing that, you, that, that God has called me to do, that every single thing that I just wrote to you, pray for me that I won't have fear. So what what I'm going to ask you guys to do today is to pray with people that are around you. Grab two or three. Grab a couple of people around you and be transparent with one another of some of the fears that you have with actually living into this truth and making it true. With actually living into it, share some of your fears and then pray for one another. And after you spend some time praying with one another and for one another and being transparent with one another, come up and, and grab the bread and grab the juice and break bread with one another and then let us worship our great king together. That being said, the tables are open. Let's pray. Then let's break bread and worship.